0: Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, we are continuing in our series that our family pastor, J.C. Thompson, has put together on Philippians 2, 6-11. through You can visit brookwoodchurch.org or our Brookwood app if you'd like to find more resources on this message or if you'd like to hear our past messages. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ.
1: Thank you all so much for singing today. Um, It is a joy to come out and preach to people who are ready to listen. Uh, And I appreciate you sharing together in worship. Uh, We're in week two of a series that we're calling Follow. Uh, If you weren't here last week, or if you were here last week and you need a refresher, uh, we talked about the importance of this passage of Scripture because we need to know uh, who Christ is. And this passage of Scripture lets us know that. It lets us know uh, the intentionality of Jesus and coming to earth. But not only is it something that we need to know and and begin to understand, it's also a a mindset that we need to adopt. Paul started off this passage in verse 5 just by saying, have this mind among yourselves that's in Christ Jesus. And so we need to not only know who Jesus is, but we also need to try and do how Jesus did. And so that's the point of this particular passage of Scripture. I also mentioned last week that it's a poem, it, it, sometimes called the, the Hymn of Christ or the Messiah poem, uh, and it's a particular structured poem. It's a, it's a chiism, which just means that there are parallel verses, uh, so parallel uh, stanzas at the beginning will also reflect the same thought at the end. They're written in couplets, and then you get to the middle of this poem, and that's the point. It's what's being driven home through this particular way of writing, and today we get to the middle of this section, which is in verse eight, which is the point of why it was written. So last week we talked about Jesus being God, fully God and forever God. He came to Earth, and this week we talk about Jesus and His humility. Specifically, these two verses are about the humiliation of Jesus Christ, verses seven and eight, that Jesus became human. Jesus became human. God voluntarily sent His Son, Jesus voluntarily obeyed and became a human being. And this piece of Scripture calls us to adopt His mindset of humility. Now, oftentimes, I I think sometimes it's interesting for us because humility is something we know that Scripture talks about. It's something that's talked about numerous times. But oftentimes in our own life and in our own experience, we know that humility is not often what we choose. We're kind of forced into humility a lot of times. We're forced into this place of understanding that we don't have what it takes, that we're, we, we think ourselves more important than who we truly are. And we get forced into that situation. Jesus was not forced into this. Jesus chose humility. So today when we read about Jesus' choice to take on humanity, I I pray and hope that you'll begin to choose humility as well. Today our, our memory verse is from Hebrews chapter 2, and it's in verse 17. It just says this, therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 and hear what the process of Jesus' humiliation looks like. Chapter 2, verse 7 starts this. Today I'm going to get to do two verses instead of one. I'm trying to up my game a little bit, okay? We'll see how this goes. Verse 7 just says this. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. So Jesus humbled himself first by becoming a servant. By becoming a servant. Now, this is an incredibly controversial verse because in the Greek, the word here for giving up is actually a word that's most, tr- most literally translated to the word empty, emptying. Uh, now, what's great is if you use the NLT, it pretty much just glosses over this whole controversial issue and just gives you the explanation of it without you having to ask any questions, which is wonderful. But if you go back to the Greek and you look at certain other translations, if you got the ESV or if you got the NASB, uh, then you see this word emptying. Now, we learned last week and you guys use your hands to make sure that you remembered this that Jesus was not reaching out to be god no he was god and so that word grasp meant that he was voluntarily letting go and so when we think of empty we we think that maybe that means just doing without like getting rid of something getting rid of something that we have, right? And this is where the controversy comes in because some people would use this particular passage and say that Jesus is emptying himself of his divinity, that when he became man, the controversial issue that scripture does not teach, but some people believe is that Jesus gave up his godness to become human but that's not what scripture teaches. And if Perry's taught you anything in the more than 25 years that he's been teaching you the word of God, he's taught you that you look at the text for what it means. And so we would see that if Jesus was truly emptying himself, subtracting something from himself, then we would see other examples of his subtraction. But actually what you see in this passage is not subtraction. You see addition. You see him adding things to himself. And so this word emptying is not a literal translation of empty, it actually is a metaphor for the attitude that Jesus Christ had, that he counted himself a servant. God, perfection, holiness, other than, counted himself less than for us. And so he took on humanity in the position of a servant. That's addition, not subtraction. Matthew 20, 28 says it in this way. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. God came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus as servant. I don't know about you. But for me, at least, when I think about the God of this universe serving me, it's humbling and scary and honestly a little bit ridiculous for me to comprehend. And yet that's what Scripture teaches us, that holy and perfect God who knows every sin of every human being. In fact, let's just take you for an example, or me for an example. Jesus knows every sin you've ever committed, every evil deed, every evil thought. And in addition to that, He even knows the things you don't even know about yet. And He knows that for every human being who has ever existed or who will ever exist. Even if you were neutral and you've never sinned, you're a creature made by a creator. And because of that, you don't get to say to him what you think and what you want and what you need because he is distinctly different from us. We're the creature. He is the creator. But then in addition to us, even if we were neutral, then we go and sin and rebel and disobey, and dishonor the name of a perfect and holy God. That God came to serve you through the person of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to adopt this mindset, then the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, who am I serving? Who am I serving? Now I'm the family pastor, which means I deal in family ministry and I'm up here with a microphone today. So I get to talk about the ministry that I lead, which is family ministry. So Gene and these other guys, they can talk about theirs when they get up here, okay? But today I'm up here. We have kids and students who we're trying to teach a biblical worldview. We're trying to help them understand that there is a God who is real, who loves them and not only loves them, but made a visible commitment to them by sending Jesus Christ to the planet earth them and even some of those young people turn around and serve our other young people are you serving we have kids and students who need to know the message of Jesus Christ we even give you a lesson plan on how to say it you just have to say it now I said that in the first service and I had somebody come up to me afterwards and they said hey come here See, I think you're a little weak on the people in the first service. Here's how I say it. He said, even teenage girls are serving in children's ministry and student ministry. Where are men at? Now he said that, I didn't say that. <laughs> but we need men to lead and we need them to lead to Christ. It's the benefit of serving in children's and student ministry because you know what? You always get to point to your boss. And he's awesome. It's the best thing to be able to share with children. But not just children. There are people all around us. There are people at your workplace. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people that walk through our doors. And for some reason, God's spirit has shown you that you need to help. And all of our helping pales in comparison to Jesus helping us enemies of God and so we serve and not only do we serve but we serve for the sake of others not for our own sake Because let's be honest you put a good day's work in of volunteering you get to go home you get to take a good nap and you think to yourself you know what that was good I did a good job and sometimes you'll find people just to serve so that you feel better about yourself Jesus helped enemies who didn't even want his help because he truly was serving for them. Can we do the same? Not only did Jesus humble himself by being born or becoming a servant, he also humbled himself by being born as a human being. Being born as a human being. Verse 7. And was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Now, again, NLT kind of doesn't really talk about this stuff. So I'm going to use some words that are talked about in the NLT, but it's not consistent in the NLT, okay? So this word form is actually used three times in this passage of Scripture. In verse six and verse seven, uh, and then later on, which you'll hear about next week. Okay, and that word "form" is not the same word, not the same Greek word in every instance. Form. Last week we learned that Jesus is in the form of God, the very form of God, which means He is in all things, in nature and in essence, equal to God. This word "form" means likeness, and it means. Almost the exact same, but a minor difference. And there is one minor difference, and it's crucial in our understanding of the sacrifice of Christ because it has to do with really two doctrines. One, the cross of Christ and the sacrifice made. But two, it also has to do with the virgin birth. See, when Jesus was born, we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, which means that he was born without a sin nature. Jesus was human in every way except for being born with a sin nature. And this is crucial to our understanding of Christ as Savior because if he has sin in, then he cannot be the redeemer whose sacrifice is accepted by God. But Jesus wasn't born with a sin nature. He was born miraculously by the hand of God himself, and because of that, we can trust that Jesus' sacrifice is good. And not only was Jesus born human, which Perry's talked about this at length at Christmas time. was born in a horse's trough, in a cave, not a glorious birth that you would think the Son of God would merit but he also grew up as a human being. He lived the human experience. He had a body that experienced things like hunger, thirst, fatigue, growth, and death. He also had a physical mind that had limits, but even though it had limits, it grew. Now, some, some of us, and, and me included here, like it's hard to fathom an omniscient, all-knowing, limitless God taking on a limited form, specifically in the area of knowledge. That's difficult to understand. And I can't explain it to you. I wish that I could. We know this from scripture. He's fully God and fully human. We also know that he grew according to Luke 2, 52. We know that he grew in his ability to understand. But the best way that I can explain this to you is the way that I think of children. Now, when your children are very young, and they're learning to obey you, they basically do only what you say. They don't know your expectations. They don't know your personality. They don't know your quirks. They don't know the things that really set you off or the things that really make you happy. They just know, this is what you told me to do. Now, some of you would go, I don't even think they know that, JC. And that's okay. They're still learning, okay? They're still learning. But as your kids get older, they learn to obey you more fully. In fact... There may be a day where your kids do something before you even thought about it or knew about it because they are learning to obey more fully. Now, some of you are going, I wish my kids would learn that. I don't think that Jesus's capacity to die on the cross happened while he was a young person. I think it was something that was growing as he understood the limits of his body, as he understood his capacity to obey his Father, so that one day by living the human experience, by disciplining his body, he would one day be able to fully satisfy the death on the cross without succumbing to the temptation of asking angels or God to help him off. which meant Jesus had disciplines that he performed. This is is important for us to understand because when we look at the human life as a follower of Christ, we have to look at Jesus first. Jesus prayed. He read and memorized scripture. He fasted. He practiced the discipline of solitude, meaning him and God by themselves together. He also went to church. And if Jesus goes to church, we don't have an excuse to not go to church. He worshiped on a regular, continual basis. He practiced the Sabbath and all the Old Testament ceremonial laws Jesus performed because he was a Jew. And he had to fulfill all those laws in order to be the perfect sacrifice. And he did. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9 says it this way. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home... He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scripture. So I want to paint a picture for you for a moment. Divine God comes to earth taking on humanity and he goes to church and scripture says he goes to church as usual where they go and read the scriptures out loud in the synagogue. And Jesus is about to open up God's word to a section of scripture that's about him. Could you imagine standing up to read the scriptures and understanding what it means to be the Messiah that Isaiah talked about? And so he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written, and it's a passage about Jesus. Jesus reading the passage about himself out loud to all who attended the synagogue that day. Now this teaches us about the human body as well. See, Greek culture, the body was seen as evil and the spirit was seen as good. And so you did as much as you could to basically separate the body and the physical experience from the spiritual experience and the spiritual plane, if you will. The problem is, is Jesus came in a body, thus redeeming the idea that the body is evil. In fact, God made us before the fall, so our bodies can't be evil inherently, But once sin entered the world, sin nature, we are born with. But the problem with that is we kind of go two extremes with our body. We either go to the extreme of it's so evil I want nothing to do with it and I I just want to kill it off like it's horrible. And we take pieces of Scripture to like affirm our incorrect and extreme view because we'll say Paul said to take my body and beat it and make it my slave so that it'll do what I desire. And Paul's right. Paul didn't have an extreme view of the body in this way. He understood that it was corrupted by sin, but it can be made to do good things. It can be trained. So the body is good. And then there's the opposite, which is the culture that we live in today, which is the body is so good, we need to put it on posters, and we need to Photoshop it if it looks too bad, and the sexual revolution literally makes every conversation come back to this idea that the body is what we idolize. But Jesus is teaching us that it's neither the extreme of idolatry nor is it the extreme of neglect and evil. It's God's creation made good that can be redeemed and trained and disciplined for good. And I don't know if you think about this. I think about this sometimes. Jesus had to memorize scripture As a boy, as a Jew, he would have memorized scripture. He would have had to attend church on specific days as a Jew. He'd have to obey earthly parents, fallible parents. How fallible, you may ask? Well, they lost Jesus, who's the savior of the world. Now, you've all done bad things as parents, but you never lost the savior of the world. How embarrassing. And yet when they come back, which by the way, no GPS, no like social media, no 911 missing persons report. Like they had to walk back and hope they, fought. they found them somewhere. And where'd they go to find him? The church. And he, he didn't say, oh, I'm so glad you guys are back. He said, did you not know I would be about my father's business? Jesus submitted to his parents. So if you're out there going God doesn't know what it's like to be me. I would just say that's not true. He does know. He knows what it's like love and lose someone. He knows what it's like to feel pain. He knows what it's like to experience people suffering from a sickness that may have no cure. He knows what it's like to love and then be betrayed. He knows what it's like to feel lonely and isolated. He knows what it's like to feel physical pain of which you think no one else can understand. Jesus truly knows you. And this is what I love. One day, you know, when Jesus was resurrected, when he came back, he did not shed his body. He kept a body. In fact, he ate after he was resurrected. He even showed his scars and his wounds to the disciples. And one day, when we get to eternity, we will look into eyes of a man who looks like Jesus didn't just take a body on for 33 years He sacrificed and took a body on for eternity He chose to identify Himself with humanity forever And Scripture teaches us that one day we will have a body like Christ. We will be like him. Not only did Jesus humble himself by becoming a servant and humble himself by being born as a human, he also humbled himself by bearing our sin on the cross. Verse 8, and this is the crescendo. This is the point. This is the message of the poem. And it is this He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He died a criminal's death on the cross. God, perfect in each and every way, so holy and distinct from us that he can't even be in the presence of sin. Jesus died the most excruciating, embarrassing form of torture as a criminal. Crucifixion was the ultimate way of taking away the dignity of a person. You would be stripped down with no clothes. In Jesus' case, they beat him with a whip, made him carry his cross up the mountain, placed him in the ground, put nails in his wrist and through his feet, placed a crown of thorns not only to physically harm him but also to mock him. A sign was written that says, here's the king of the Jews. They played for his clothes as he was dying. A spear was driven through his side. Perfect, holy God who came to serve and understand the human experience, placed limitations on himself voluntarily to understand us, died the most embarrassing, excruciating way possible, having done nothing wrong other than obey God above all else. The ESV study Bible that Perry mentioned a couple weeks ago says that crucifixion is the absolute destruction of the human being. Jesus was utterly destroyed on our behalf. But it also satisfied God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says this He, God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. God was pleased with Jesus. And though And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Everything. Scripture says that creation is groaning, yearning for the day that all is made right. The ocean, the trees, the animals, the leaves, the very clouds themselves are yearning for the day to be made right with God again. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus made everything right through the cross. We should boast about this. You know, Paul teaches in Galatians chapter 6 that we should boast in nothing except the cross of Christ. And here's the thing. Paul kind of had a reputation for boasting in the things about God. He boasted about his inheritance. He boasted about the peace and the grace given to him through God. He boasted about his past. He boasted about the fact that he was a part of a family. He boasted about the fact that he had brothers and sisters and was never alone, was never in isolation. He boasted about all those things. Because of the cross of Christ. Every good thing that you have in your life is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Every bad thing made good is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The fact that we can identify with God not only as human but as Savior is because of the cross of Christ. Everything comes back to the cross. Galatians 614. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. Now, some of you know this deeper than others because the way that we truly learn to boast in the cross of Christ is to be on the cross of Christ. Through your suffering, through your pain, you begin to learn just how much Christ went through for you. Some of us live in that place. You live with a disease that has no cure. You live with a family who won't talk to you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. People have turned their backs on you. People have ridiculed you. People have looked at you like you are less than because of Christ. And that's when you experience the value of the cross of Christ for you. I want you to understand this. An invisible God made a visible commitment to you. We hear this in student ministry all the time. How can I know that God is real? I can't see him. You can see the person of Jesus. You can see where he walked. You can read from people who never became Christians testifying to who Jesus was. An invisible God who does not in any way, shape, or form have to do anything for you made a visible commitment of his love for you. Will you make a visible commitment of your love to Christ? It's hard because, in you know, when we get up here to preach, we know that a lot of times the gospel is just made this cheap thing. You know, if I believe, if I say one prayer, I'm literally good for the rest of my life. You misunderstand faith. Faith is a whole life commitment because you cannot see God come down to earth sacrificing his entire human life and then placing his body on display embarrassingly on your behalf and then ultimately dying a torturous death and feel like you can just say, I got faith in God. When you truly grasp the links to which Christ paid for your sin, one prayer will never be enough. One life will never be enough. You will experience the grace and mercy of Christ overflowing through every pore in your body because he loves you. And the problem with young adults looking sometimes at older folks who lived in this easy faith kind of way is they go, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't just say you can pray a prayer and that's it. The Bible says faith changes and changes forever. And so, my challenge to you today as you survey the wondrous cross, is that your boast? Or you have someone or something else that you're boasting in? It could be a job. It could be a hard conversation that you were dreading that you had. It could be some new plan or new book that's going to change your life. But if it's anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ, just like creation, you will be longing. And you probably feel it already before I'm even saying it if you've got a thirst that doesn't seem to be quenched, if you've got a wound that can't be healed, look to the cross of Christ. For there is no other hope. There is no other name given among men than Christ Jesus. Are you growing in your understanding of the sacrifice of Jesus? Would you say that your worship, your devotion, your service to Christ is growing or has grown stale? I challenge you to look to the cross and remember Jesus Christ. At the bottom of your outline, you see a section entitled Brookwood Basic Beliefs. And last week we learned that the Redeemer must be truly God. This week the question is this, why must the Redeemer be truly human so that he might obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for sin on our behalf? Now if you're in here today and you have never looked to the cross, you have never looked to Jesus as your only solution, then as our care volunteers come down here, I'm going to challenge you to make a visible commitment to Christ to come down here after we pray our care care volunteers would love nothing more than to introduce you to the Savior of the world. And if you're in here and you love Jesus and you love to hear about the cross, I'm challenging you to find somebody who needs Jesus and bring them to Easter. Bring them with you. Buy them lunch, buy them coffee. Let them try out your new car. (laughs) Let them pick which restaurant you go to for lunch. Get them here to hear the most important message for their life. And I pray that as you live your life, you will look to the cross and find rest, meaning, and value and know that Jesus knows you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to earth for us. For me. You didn't have to. And we didn't earn it. You just love us. So God, I pray that if there's someone in our seats, not just longing for the reconciliation of all things, but longing to have a relationship and be made right with God, I pray, God, that you let that day be today. And God, we pray as we leave today, we pray, God, that you'd help us to see you, to see the cross and boast in nothing else. Point out people to us that need to be here to hear your message. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we're able to pray these things. Amen.
0: Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.